Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I want to read verses 14 through 18 this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you even as we've heard this morning already, this time of year, as we rejoice in this event as we call Christmas. And uh, we thank you and praise you for your love that was expressed fully in sending your son. And I pray that this morning as we know that uh, people have been involved in all kinds of activities to get ready for Christmas. I know that there's people on the road right now traveling to see relatives. We, we know, Father, that there's been involvement with gift buying and purchasing and preparation and cooking and all kinds of things that have already taken place and maybe some that are even on the schedule for today. But I pray that you'd quiet our hearts. You'd help us as we open up the Word of God and have that privilege. We thank you again as we consider the fact that we're in a free country that can open up the Word of God. We thank you for that. We once again thank you for the military that are serving and thank you that Josh is back. And we pray that they continue to watch over them, many who are going to be serving right through the holidays. And uh, thank you again for returning our college students. We do pray for Fanny and we thank you for her spirit of uh, joyfulness. Lord, we see that all the time, no matter what she goes through. And she's now back in the hospital. I pray that you'd uh, cheer up her heart. I know her desire would be to get out uh, for Christmas to be with family, and we pray by your grace they can handle that infection, and uh, we can encourage her. And now, Father, we pray that as we open the Word of God, that the Spirit of God would have free liberty to work in each of our hearts and minds, that the truth of the Word of God would take its root, and that, Father, Christians today would rejoice and delight in your Word, and that those who do not know Christ but for these moments, have their ears opened and their hearts that they could see. And we pray that you do a marvelous work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've entitled the message this morning, The Invisible Became Visible. Wouldn't it be great? Let's be honest here. Would it not be great if we could just see God. As has been mentioned, there are those who would say that there is no God. We'll deal with that later. But wouldn't we just like to be able to see God? I can see you. You can see me. 
you can see one another. And it's wonderful to be able to see a person. Wouldn't it be great to just be able to see God? To have a face-to-face -face conversation with him, like we're having here today. Wouldn't it be great to just be able to sit down and talk to God? And if we're honest, to be able to ask him the questions that we have. We, we talk about answers. We talk about God. But wouldn't it be great to just be able to face-to-face -face sit down with God and begin to talk with him in that realm and really ask him and pour out our hearts with the questions that are really deep. And I'll even go this far. Even as believers, Christians in this room, who oftentimes we wouldn't want to say it out loud, but at times as we go through our Christian life, there's times that doubt does come in. And, you know, we say, I've been believing this, I've been doing this, and I do trust it, and, but I haven't seen him. I just wish I could see him. And, I, and you know, is he really there? Human beings, we have those struggles. And so wouldn't it be great? I mean, let's just pause for a second and analyze some things that we know would be true. If God does exist, and he does, let me settle that. And even if it's not settled in your mind, hopefully by the end of this, you will be. But God does exist. And if he does exist, does he not have to be infinite? Yes. Does he not have to be omnipotent, all-powerful? Yes. Omniscient, know everything that ever was and ever will be? Yes. Invisible? Yes. A spirit being, not a physical being, because the physical dies. Would he not have to be eternal if he's really God? Not only eternally in the past, but eternally into the future, yes. Omnipresent, hard concept for us to deal with. But wouldn't, if he's really God, wouldn't he have to be omnipresent? And all of those things, and I could go on with the list, are true. God, that's his realm. And then we look at our realm. And let's just compare it for a second. We're finite. Oh, we don't think we are, but we know we are. Of course you're still not a babe in this room. There's no child that's walking around in diapers in a nursery that can't speak that's in this room. We've changed. We're finite. We're aging. We're limited in power. I can't go outside and pick up this building. I can't go outside and say snow and it's going to snow. I can say it. can't do it. We're limited in knowledge. My knowledge is limited. I've been studying this book now in, in depth for 35 years, and I haven't touched the surface of it. This is one book. I don't know anything about uh, carpentry, electricity. And you might be sitting there, well, I know all about those things. Okay, you know, how much do you know about geometry, physics? How much do you know about astrology? How much do you know about the planets? Can you count the stars? I was with some folks last night, and uh, we happen to have all of our family, some of my family are on the road right now, and they're coming out here, and we're going to have a, don't ask me how it's going to happen, but we're going to have everybody at our house sleeping somehow. Uh, but they, it's going to happen. But I was with some other people, and 
in Christmas Eve, we have one of our traditions. We're all going to get together. We're look, all looking forward to that. Everybody is. The babies are going to be there and everything else. And the least person who knows things about mathematics last night was saying, yeah, let's see. We've got to prepare the food. Now, if we take this number of people and I divide this into that, and I said, you are not the person to do that. Someone else needs to do that, or we're never going to have the right amounts of food. It's not going to happen. Okay? And what am I saying? We are limited in knowledge. We are very visible. We don't sometimes like to look at ourselves in the mirror, but we're very visible. We are a physical being. We're limited to time and space. I am here. I can't be in my home right now. I'm not omnipresent. So those things are realities, right? Our world is filled with imperfection. Our world is filled with sin and crime, some of which some of you may be a part of right now. You say, in what realm? Target. 40 million, you know, the credit cards have been stolen and, and, and during a certain period of time. That's an evidence. People want to walk around this world. How foolish are we? There's, there's another aspect. What do you mean foolish? We walk around and say, there's no sin. It's just bad mistakes. It's just uh, somebody else's fault. And then we hear about 40 million credit cards getting stolen. We don't think there's sin in the world? Crime, sickness, probably have some in this room that have a cold, that have something. There's sickness, it's obvious. Death is obvious. Uh, people are going to die. We're all going to die. That's our world. How about God's kingdom? Let's compare that again for a second. God's kingdom is one of no sickness. God's kingdom is one of no death. God's kingdom is one of perfect holiness. Absolutely no sin whatsoever. God's kingdom is a kingdom where there's no tears, where there is no sorrow. I've not known that in my life, and I guarantee you haven't as well. There's been some sorrow. There's been some tears. There's been some things that have happened. God's kingdom is one of perfect light, no darkness at all. Night and day doesn't mean anything to him. That's our world. And so I'm comparing these things. Why? How in the world can these two worlds and these two realms be brought together? How can they be bridged? Good question. When it comes to Christmas time, when it comes to this time of the year, and by the way, most holidays, as we think about holidays, or we think about any type of occasion, whether it even be a birthday or whatever it is, most of those things are celebrated based upon human events. A child coming into the world, a birthday, a special occasion where there's victory in a war, or there's whatever it might be. Not this one. This one is centered on a divine activity. Just like the creation of the world. That was a divine activity. So too with the activity that we're talking about. When it comes to Christmas, Pastor Chris mentioned a few things. To some, Christmas is just going to be one other day like any other day. Some will view it as simply it's a pagan holiday that just could carry over into Christianity. Some will look at it as a time, this is tremendous, because this is a time when they're going to make a lot of money at Christmas time. Take advantage of those who don't want to work and uh, take advantage of the gift giving. It's going to be a time of giving and receiving of gifts uh, to some folks, and that's it. To others, it's going to be a time for family and friends to gather together, and maybe some of those other things as well. A time for special meals, things you only do once in a while, and it's a special occasion to come out with this particular meal. A time for all kinds of traditions, cutting trees, 
doing this, dressing a certain way, going to this certain thing, eating certain types of things. Still others, it's a time for stress. That's a reality. It's a time of stress, a time of depression because they're alone, a time of discouragement, a time of emptiness, and there's all kinds of things that are going to happen this Christmas year, the things that have gone on. But let me say this, to a Christian, whether or not you want to celebrate Christmas, to a Christian, at a minimum, it should be a reminder of a very significant divine event that took place in history at a minimum. At a minimum, we should be reminded of something. It is a time, the title that I've given this message, it is indeed a time in which the invisible became visible to man. It is known as the incarnation, into the flesh. It is the coming into the flesh. It is God taking on the attributes of man, that which was not common to him. And we begin in our text right here in verse 14. And we begin to unfold what I just talked about. Because some of you are probably sitting here and saying, well, Foolish Christians, you believe that stuff, how foolish could you be? Hold on, and let's, let's work on this. Let's take it and pull it apart. Right away in verse 14, we see the uniqueness of this event. Unique from all the other events that take place. What? We open up verse 14 and it says, the word became flesh. What do you mean the word became flesh? We talk of words, we think of speech. What is this word? Go back with me to chapter 1 and go back to verse 1. Let's let the word of God explain itself. In verse 1, we see, in the beginning was the word. So whatever this word is that's becoming flesh, it was there in the beginning. What else do we learn? The word was with God. This word was with God. And not only that, it says... And the word, what's the next two words? Was God. This expression of the word, whatever it is, whoever it is, was there in the beginning. What do you mean? Was always there. And there is the distinction here because the Godhead, and people think you got three gods. No, no. It's the representations of God in that you have them face to face. There's two persons in the Godhead here. And what you've got is this word was with God in the beginning, and in fact, the word is God. This is God in eternity past. Go on, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God, and he'll give you, this will give you a little description. All things came into being through him. Now, I know I am not foolish. I know, and by the way, this is, Pastor Chris has already shown this tape to uh, the college parents, I believe, of, st of students. I would recommend that, I've seen this, but that, uh, and I'm not here to just give total advertisement to that, but that disc that every person that has somebody in school, in high school and college, should see that tape. Because your children, whether you realize it or not, 
are going to have all of their Christianity undercut immediately by the philosophy of the world. And you think you're ready for that as a parent, but you're going to be surprised in time. It's really worth seeing. But what does it come back to? I, I said not a fool. I'm not a fool. I'm well aware that our society is going to say it evolved. It evolved. And your ancestor was nothing more than something that swam in the ocean or goes back to a gene. How foolish. The word of God says this. All things, not some, all things came into being. How? Through him. Through who? Through who? The word. And apart from him, <coughs> I love this, because I am one of those slow students. I really am. And what do you mean all things were made by him? Well, let me explain it further. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Anything that you see that come into being only came in through the word. That's who this is. You say, I don't believe it. You're a fool. You say, Pastor Dan, that's not a way to start Christmas celebration. Why do you say that? Because the word of God says it's the fool that says in his heart that there is no God. There is every evidence of God. The more you study science, I encourage you to study more of science. He's only going to bring you back to God. You study biology, study more of it. Everything came into being by this word. And if we don't get it yet, he says this. Okay? In him was life. And life was and the life was the light of men. We wouldn't even have life without him. So whoever this word is, this word was God. And so this word was God. And by the way, to help a little bit to move ahead, if you jump down to verse 17, it's going to identify specifically who the word is. And I'll cover in between these verses. But verse 17 says the law was given through Moses. But in, in grace and truth, where did they come from? They were realized through Jesus Christ. How does that tie in? Back to verse 14. The only begotten from the Father is full of grace and truth. It is Jesus Christ who is the word of God. It is Jesus Christ who is the word. And the word, it says, was made flesh. God reveals himself to man how? Let me tell you how he does it. He reveals himself to man <coughs> through creation. I won't turn there, but Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear. As you and I walk through creation, you don't need a teacher. You don't need a, a pastor to come and teach you. You don't need to go to a religious service. You can look for yourself and explain and look at the universe. And people can see in the universe the creative hand of God. And the deeper we dig, the better it is. I encourage education. Why? Because the more you learn about this universe, the more you're going to be pointed back to the creator of it all. When you see the power, the power of storms, when you see the uniqueness of animal life, of our life, and we're the only ones that have been created in the image and likeness of God. How else does God reveal himself? Well, according to Hebrews chapter 1, many times and in many ways through the prophets and other means, God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. We know in the early parts of Genesis, God, God chose to talk directly to Adam and Eve. He chose directly to talk to others. That's great. They didn't see him, but he talked to them. They couldn't see his person. Wouldn't you like to have those conversations? 
But even as he's done all of that, we see that now how did he communicate to man? He did this by coming into the world that he created. That's what it says. The word became flesh. He took on flesh. It's right there in verse 14. Compare this with a couple of verses. Go with me to Hebrews. Let's go there first. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, just listen along. If you've got a computerized Bible, you're there before I got there. But Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since the children, that's human beings, it's specifically Israel, share in flesh and blood. We all share in that. I have flesh and blood. You have flesh and blood. We bleed. We can see the flesh. That's who we are. Watch. He himself, if you look at the whole context, it's talking about Jesus Christ, who's better than the angels, Jesus Christ, who was the one sent of God, all the way through the passage. And if you don't catch it, just look at verse 9. But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus. That's who he's talking about. It's the same one in John chapter 1. And he says, therefore, verse 14, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. What do you mean? It wasn't part of his nature. He was the creator. But he took on him something that was not part of him. What is it? The flesh and blood. Why? Here it is. It gets way ahead of us, but it shows us that through death, he might render powerless him who has power over death. That is the devil. Why? Because man, it goes on in that text to say man fears death. Pastor Chris referred to that. They feared death all their life. Or Bob did, sorry. But man has that fear of death. But God sent his son that he would experience death. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Well, no, go to Hebrews 1. Since you're in Hebrews, let's not move from that one. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Then we'll go to the Colossians. With Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago, verse 1, to the fathers, I just referred to this in the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us how? In his son. Well, who is he? He's appointed heir of all things. Watch this. Through who? He is the mechanism. He is the means. That's what it means there. Through whom also he made the world. Very consistent with John chapter 1. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's just saying it a different way. Through him, through the means of the Son, he made the world. And further, verse 3, he, that is the Son, is the radiance of his glory and, watch this, the exact representation of his nature. And further, by the way, why is it that the planets don't crash? Why is it that the gravity does work? Here it is. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. He took on him the form which he normally didn't have because he's an invisible God. And that is flesh and blood. Why? So that we could see him. We're going to see more to this. Do, I want you to see the Colossians passage in case you still don't get it. Colossians chapter 1. Let's go there. And in Colossians chapter 1, I just look at two quick verses. Verse 15, it says, He, that is the Son, in case you don't catch that, go back and look at verse 13. His beloved son is whom he's talking about. 
verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. <coughs> the firstborn of all creation. You say, there it is. He was born. It was the first. <coughs> I'll save you a little time if you go on. It says, so that in everything he would have first place of the preeminence at the end of verse 18. The whole point is he was not the first one that was ever born. When you talk about, if you're thinking in terms of that, Adam was born physically. We're going to see in our own context that John is going to be born physically before him. It's dealing with preeminence. He created it all. He holds it all together. But the whole key is he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, guess where you look? In the face of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus Christ could say to Philip, he said, Philip, as a believer, listen, he said, oh, that you just show us the Father. You know what the Lord's response to him was? You know what it is. What was it? Philip, have I been with you so long? Are you so foolish? Don't you know? What did he say? When you have seen me, what? You've seen the Father. Why? I am the representation of the invisible God. Out of love. Go back to John chapter 1 there. In John chapter 1, the word was made flesh. This is God in the flesh. No one else can say this. Matthew, I read it. In Matthew 1.23, it says we'll call his name Emmanuel, which by translation is what? God with us. You know that verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He looked down at mankind. He saw the problems. We are sinners. We are sick. We are weak. We are finite. He's infinite. How can we bridge that gap? We can't. Can this church do it? No. Can any religion, Baptist, Presbyterian, Roman Catholic, Jewish, Mormonism, can anything do it? No. Can an uncle, can an aunt, can a priest, can a rabbi, can a minister? No. The only one that could is Jesus Christ. He came into the world and took on flesh. The word became flesh. God's presence was dwelling among us. No one else can say that. Right? And that's what it says in the passage. He dwelt among us. Literally, he set up his tent, if you want to be literal with the translation of what the Greek means. God came into the world and set up his tent among us so that he could live among us. That's what it says, verse 14. And what happened? We saw his glory. When you looked at that child, when you looked at him as he grew as a man, you saw the essence of God because it's God with us. And you notice this in verse 14 because I need to move ahead. He is the only begotten of the Father. That's kind of a clumsy word. What does that mean? Was he the only one that was ever born? Was he, what is this? No, the word comes from the word that means unique, a term that we abuse in the English. Because we always say everybody's unique. Unique is one of a kind, and that's who Jesus Christ is. Watch this. He's full. He is the full expression, verse 14, the full expression of the grace of God and truth. People are searching for truth. Why do you think Jesus could say, I am the way? What did he say? The truth. I'm the truth, he says. I am the true expression of God's love. People are still searching for that today. Where is the love of God with all that's going on in the world? The love of God is found in that he came into the world and took on flesh. And he's full of grace. You want to know the grace of God? We talk about Christmas. It is gracious when you receive a gift. That's what it means. It's a gift. It's grace. You want to see his humanity? 
Well, let's pause for another minute here. Look at verse 15. I told you about John. John testified about him. Who's this? This is John the Baptist saying, This is he of whom I said. He who comes after me in time, that is, is higher in rank. And he says, Than I, for I existed, for he, excuse me, he existed before me. Wait a minute. John was born physically six months before Jesus Christ came into the world, before the word was made flesh. And John knew that, and John could say, look, he was actually here before I was. Why? Because he always existed. I'm not worthy of him. He's referring to him as deity. Look in the passage alone. Go down to verse 20. This is John the Baptist. He confessed and said, he did not deny, he confessed, I am not the anointed one, John says. Look at verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet. He said, I'm not the Messiah, I'm the one that's to talk about the Messiah. The one who you saw is the word made flesh, is the one. In case you don't see it, go down to verse 29. Same John. The next day, he, that is John, saw who? Jesus, the one identified in verse 17 as the word. He saw Jesus coming and said to him, what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John who physically was born six months before the stable in Bethlehem. And he says that one is higher in rank. That one was here before I was. That is the Lamb of God, the one sent of God. He fulfilled scripture. We know the passages in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. You don't have to turn to them. I'll read these. You're probably familiar with them anyway. But Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, look at what it said in the Old Testament. It said this, <clears throat> and I quote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child. We read that account this morning. How does a virgin get with child? Of the Holy Ghost. And bear a son, and we shall, you shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which is what? We just told you. God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Another thing that we sing about. In verse 6 it says, A child will be born to us. A son will be given unto us. Now watch this son. The government will rest upon his shoulder and his name will be called, listen carefully, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That's who's born. That child is the Mighty God. This was God himself taking on flesh. In the account in Luke chapter 2, and I won't turn there, but in Luke chapter 2 that's often quoted and sung about where the shepherds who are abiding in the field, what happens? He says, I'll give you a sign, for unto you is born is good news. A Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah of God. That's God. And then you see also his physical aspect. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What is that? To help you to see that this is the one unique person who is absolutely full of God, fully God, who created everything, who gave life to everything, and he willingly came in and humbled himself. It's not for the purposes of this entire message this morning, but if you want to read it yourself, you read in Philippians chapter 2. Though he was equal with God, he thought it not robbery 
to basically lay that aside and to come on as a servant and humbly take on flesh, even to the death of the cross. Why so humble? Because of his purpose. And I want you to catch this. Go back to John chapter 1. It's a great occasion. And a Christian should remember what happened. And for those who don't realize it, it's not just for decorations. It's not for a manger scene. It's not for just Christmas celebration. Something very significant happened that we're remembering. And it is that there was a point in time, according to the book of Galatians, he says, in the perfect time, God sent forth his son. Why didn't he do it when Adam fell? Why didn't he just end everything there? You would have no opportunity for salvation. The patience of God, according to the scriptures, is so that people get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The longer he tarries, the more opportunity people have to believe what God did. What did God do? Since we are all sinners and have come short of the glory of God, and we are, if I've never met you and you're visiting here at the church, it's not pleasant to hear, but the reality is you're a sinner. Well, how do you take care of that? How can you get reconciled to that kingdom of God and with God? You can't. God had to do it himself. And he sent his son. And in this passage in John, notice that he goes on <clears throat> and he says, John testified of him, but I want you to catch his purpose beginning in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Now everybody knows that. And all the religions, they look up to Moses and Moses a great hero of the faith. And the law came through him. And, and to make it simple, people think in terms of what? What? With the law. Five, ten. Ten Commandments, yeah. Be honest. We think in terms of the Ten Commandments. That is how the law came here. Well, you say, that's what I'm trying to live by. You'll never make it. Why? You can't keep them. Let's just start with the first one. Have you made anything a god above the god of the universe? I don't even know that he exists. You already did it. You say, no, no, I, I really worship God, but I mean, your whole life is centered around yourself. Think of the most obvious hobby in your particular life. Have you made a god of that? You know, no, no. Oh, yes, you have. Money is one of the biggest things that people make god of. You say, I'll do it by good works. Really? Do you think you can make up for all the bad works that you did? Can't be done. Why did the law come through Moses? I'll give you a summary of what the scriptures say. It came to expose us to sin. By the law came the knowledge of sin. I would not have known that lying was wrong unless the scripture said lying was wrong. I would not have known that coveting was wrong unless the law said coveting was wrong. It simply exposes who we are. It shows us the reality of sin in our life. And according to Galatians, the law was designed for something. What? As our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Why? Because we see we can't keep it. That's why no religion, no good works will ever get you to heaven. It leads us to the need for grace. And so law came by Moses. Then notice the contrast, though. Grace and truth were what? Realized through Jesus Christ. The word, that grace, the grace of God being saved, the concept of salvation, the concept of having been reconciled to the God who is infinite, 
to the God who's invisible. It came by grace as a free gift of God, and it came through truth, that is through Jesus Christ. It is grace that saves us, not we ourselves. Look at, turn there for a minute, Matthew chapter 1. I read it, but I want you to see it. Verse 21. She shall bear a son. That's what we really are celebrating at Christmas. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why Jesus? There's a lot of people that name Joshua. There's a lot of the Old Testament names. There's a lot of people that had that name. Why specifically does this one have to be named Jesus? She gives you the reason. For he is the one. He will what? Save. Save his people from what? Sin. He's the Savior. There is no other Savior. There's no church. There's no religion. I grew up, my background with the religion, the concept was that you just never left that denomination because if you left it, you felt guilty. Listen, there isn't a church on the face of the earth or a religion on the face of the earth that can save. God had to do it himself. That's what we're celebrating. The time in which God sent his son for the specific purpose of saving. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. Maybe he had a different message. Luke chapter 2. You know, this, this is a good, a good lesson for all of us why not to take your theology from the television set. What do you mean? You know, there are all kinds of programs about angels and everybody, you know, and you hear people, even, even preachers, saying, I was in the presence of God, you know, and I had this conversation with God, there's no fear in them or something. I, you know, I look at scripture, anybody that stood before God fell down. Anybody that talked with an angel, they go terrified. Why? Look at this. Angel of the Lord appears unto them in verse 9. And what happens? They're frightened. They were terribly frightened. Verse 10, the angel said, don't be afraid. Why? Here's why. I am bringing you good news. I am bringing you great joy. And it's for everybody. And here's the reason, verse 11. For today, in the city of David, specific place, there has been born for you a what? That's why he came. You mean it was just a baby? He cried, didn't he? Yes, he did. Humanity. But he came in to be a savior. And he further identifies him. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? That's what it means when it says, who is Christ, the Lord. And this should be the sign. You're going to find him basically in a trough, and he's wrapped in a cloth. That's who he is. And what happened? Then the angels appeared in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. People are looking for peace all over the place, but they're looking in the wrong place. The only peace, peace that can come comes through Jesus Christ. Go back to our text as we wrap it up. So what, what do you mean Christmas? What do you mean this birth? What is, what is this, you mean divine thing that we're celebrating? It is the time approximately some 2,000 years ago, which was God's perfect timing, in which he looked down on man, he could have wiped it out. There was a flood that took place. There's been other disasters that have taken place in the world. God could have wiped out man at any time. He didn't. 
but in his perfect timing, the word became flesh. God himself took on flesh. He did it in a child. He did it in a birth in Bethlehem that was a virgin birth because it was the Holy Spirit that had conceived this child. And he came into the world. Why? So that he could go to the cross. And it is he. Look at verse 18. The one that's full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. That's where we started this morning. The only begotten. Who's that only begotten? Verse 14. It's the word. Who's the word? Verse 17. It's Jesus Christ. Christmas time is a wonderful event. Those traditions are fantastic. Being with family is great. Eating all kinds of things are tremendous. But this was another opportunity in which God himself revealed to man who he is. And this one that was born in that stable, fully God, fully man, grew to with one mission in mind, and that is to save people from sins. What does that mean? How does that happen? Since all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. That babe grew as a man, went to the cross of Calvary, and in his own body, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, bore our sins. He bore our sins. He bore the penalty. He paid the price for the sin. Why? So that through faith in him, you could have the gift, the gift, the gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave it that whosoever believes would not perish, but have eternal life. He's revealed his plan. His long-suffering results in salvation today. Jesus Christ not only came and was born and died and has now gone back to heaven, he's coming again. But I will tell you this, my friend, the next time he comes, he's not coming as a babe. He's coming as a judge to judge the world. This is your opportunity to trust in the Savior. Christmas time means a lot of things to a lot of people, a lot of celebrations that go on, but to the Christian it should be a reminder that at a point in time God himself took on flesh so that I could one day be with him, but right now I could live for him. I can know him. I can walk with him. What will you do with the babe? How will you view Christmas this year? Just all those other things? If you do, you just go your way and you'll miss the whole point of God. It should be viewed of an expression of God's love in providing salvation. And how do I get it? You've got to open the gift, right? I know in my office now, because uh, I saw Linda come in with it, someone handed Linda a gift, and I won't benefit from that or her unless we open it at some point in time. I will tell you this, I won't open it till Christmas. But unless I open it, I won't get the benefit of it. Whether it be candy or whether it be a gift certificate or whatever that might be, I will never get that benefit. You will never get the benefit of eternal life unless you take the gift that God has provided. And you will die. And if you haven't taken the gift, you will spend eternity in hell. God's desire is that you know the invisible God who took on visibility at the time that we celebrate his Christmas. Believe on his son. 
and have the gift of eternal life. That's our heart's prayer for you as a church. I trust that you'll come to think about these things today if you don't know him. And fellow believer, thank God with all that goes on in our lives, individually, collectively, thank God that in a point in time he sent his son because you and I would be without life. And remember the Savior that came so that you and I could live. And then enjoy walking and living with Christ now. Why? Because you are the light that God is sending among your relatives, your friends, and even the neighbors as we sing when we know the true meaning of what took place at a point in time when Jesus Christ came into the world. My God bless you. My dear, have a great Christmas. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you chose not just creation, which is visible to us, not just prophets that you sent, which are also visible to us, but you chose to yourself, send your son to take on flesh so he would be visible to us and then he would explain to us the true and living and only God. But we thank you, Father, that while he came as a babe and while the shepherds and the kings, the wise men that came and others saw him and the apostles walked with him, he didn't stay in the stable, but he grew as a man and went to the cross because he came for the purpose of shedding grace and truth and for going to the cross to bear the penalty and price for man's sin. And I thank you that that's the only acceptable sacrifice to you, your gift. And I thank you and praise you that you've given eternal life to all who would believe. And it's our prayer that anyone in this room who has not yet come to Christ, they might understand the true meaning of Christmas by trusting in the Savior. And for those of us that know you, that we truly would rejoice in all the other events that take place, but remember what you've done, and then we'd live with a life committed for the glory of God. Thank you for this time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.